Hello and welcome to the One Nation Pragmatists. I'm Neil Freshwater. I'm Nick Lampin. Uh, this week we're going to look a little bit more about what One Nation conservatism is. But first, some good news. Um, we've now, this is our third uh, podcast we're recording. We've actually only been on air, as it were, for just over a week. And Nick, how many subscribers do you think we have? Uh, do you know what? I absolutely don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have known either if, if I was asked the question. But I, I, I have the information that I'm asking you. So uh, go on. Okay, I think one, and I think that's your wife. <laughs> You're not far off. Actually, we had 35 subscribers according to the analytics. Wow. Uh, okay. 34 of those are my friends, and so that's one. Okay. No, that's not true. Actually, we we have 35. Uh, I'm a subscriber. Are you a subscriber yet? I'm, <laughs> embarrassingly, I'm not a subscriber. Excellent. No. So we have we have 33. 36. 33 okay. genuine. Uh, 33 genuine. Uh, subscribers, um, yeah, so that, that, that's uh, that's quite good. So uh, we'll see how we how we get on next week. Whether we can increase at a rate of thirty, uh, they may of course all just be bots and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, I I should think they're they're probably Russian uh, Russian trolls actually. Yeah. Mm. I do, I, do anyway. say, I do say they are. They think we've got some uh, influence to be had. But uh, on that <laughs> note, uh, my, my wife did in fact listen to our, our very first episode. She was genuinely uh, enthused. I thought she was lying, but no, she was she was genuinely enthused, and she's a uh, a, a bright, intelligent she's person, a- an academic by trade, and all that. Um, yeah, but everybody needs their downtime. Well, quite well, quite exactly. You need you need to uh, to, to to relax. But uh, what she did say, she said, she said your first episode, you said, oh, you're gonna we're gonna talk about what one nation pragmatism is. And then you completely failed to do that. And I have no idea what One Nation Pragmatism is, which is actually a fair point. We kind of touched on it, but we didn't really, um, we didn't really uh, uh, do much uh, about it. But, well, I uh, think we were getting, to be, to be honest, we were getting more interested in the actual politics than the, than the One Nation-y thing. Yeah, so, yeah, no, she's right. One Nation, one nation can, Pragmatism is just an excuse to, 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 to blather on. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, but occasionally it was nice to come back to these things. Uh, if you were to describe Nick, uh, not using the aforementioned words, in three words, what is One Nation Conservatism? Narrowing the divide between the rich and the poor. That was about five words, but uh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, that, that's kind of what it, I suppose what it aims to do. Um, uh, a bit of history, I think. Uh, do you know who first came up with the idea? Uh, it's Israeli in civil. Uh, it was Benjamin Disraeli in civil? Yeah. What does that mean, in civil? In Sybil, it was a book he wrote. Oh right, it was. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I think it's in Sybil. Yeah, it was indeed. Yeah, not as in being civil, but as in being civil. Indeed. So yeah. it was Benjamin Disraeli who was the uh, Conservative Prime Minister uh, in what years? Don't ask me the year. 18, 1804 to eighteen. Okay. Uh, so 1881 was when he was uh, alive, uh, and he was Prime Minister between eighteen seventy six and eighteen eighty. But I suppose, in a nutshell, it's probably left-wing Toryism or moderate conservatism. Um, yeah. It's also known as, well, One Nation Conservatism is what it's generally called, also known as One Nationism, conservative democracy, uh, uh, or as, 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 as you like to uh, to be an out and proud wet. Yes, absolutely. Although that- I would like to point out here, and, and on, a, on a sideline, I did mention this podcast to an Australian friend of mine, and he looked at me in absolute horror and said, you know about Pauline Hanson and the One Nation political party in Australia. And I said, I, I do, and I'm aware of it, uh, but we're not quite the same sort of, um, uh, how can I put this delicately, crashing racist. Does it have, do, they, do they click heels now and again? Uh, no, they're the ones who wanted to sink the migrants on their boats before they ever got to Australia. All right, yeah. As a way to stop immigration, which, you know, to be honest, to be honest it would do. 
It is, it is a funny phrase because a lot of people think of one nation as meaning unionism, i.e. the one un- nation of the union. Uh, others think, see this, think of it as being, as you say, a bit far right. Um, but actually, it's, it's, it's the opposite. But that's always a funny thing about uh, political terminology. It's all, it's all relative to what your, um, it's all relative to what your, uh, your country's sort of political setup is. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, but it's also like all, like all political wording. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it can be defined by whoever is saying it at the time. Correct. So I'm sure, uh, for, for argument's sake, Donald Trump had uh, no inkling of an understanding of what America first uh meant or what it was used for previously mm. um and um it, it you know it just it it's a great phrase but unfortunately the the connotations in both his use of it and the previous use of it are uh are overwhelming yeah and it's a bit like if you talk about the liberal party because the term liberal in america basically means socialist uh, in Australia, the Liberal Party is the Conservative Party, so it's all a bit of a, uh, yeah, exactly. a, a bit of a strange, uh, a strange, strange concept. But um, but yeah, uh, typically, so historically, it, it was always seen as the the more kind of moderate. And as you alluded to before, the idea of one nation conservatism is it, it, it does we we call ourselves the one nation pragmatists, but actually, it does by its very nature uh, involve pragmatism. So whilst yeah. it sits on the centre right, so it believes in 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 the free market, it, it also doesn't believe in the free market. Uh, at any cost, it tends not to be uh, dogmatic. Whereas people, perhaps on the the sort of economic right of the conservatives, would argue that no, just 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 keep keep going and carry on, and, and the market will will prevail. So those are kind of the two the two extremes uh, of it. Um, and and we're almost venturing into American Whig um, uh, politics as well, Whig. which is is yes, exactly Whig, uh, which is the. Um, Basically, the a well-regulated free market. Yeah. So well, that, well, that's it, and it's, it's it's the idea that um, I suppose the, the starting base is that the, the the market is good and that the state shouldn't intervene. But where there is an adjustment required, then the state uh, can in, can intervene, and it has this idea of the role of government institutions as being a force for good, although not uh, a must-have. They they do have their place in society, uh, and I think historically, if I'm right in thinking, and my my memory. Back in the day of Disraeli, the, the two forms of conservatism were not kind of what they are now, but it was about one nation conservatism, and I think sort of aristocratic conservatism, which was kind of what you might yeah. think is old, old, old school Tory, Toryism. Uh, whereas today, I, I, I mean, how do you see one nation conservatism sort of fitting into the current modern conservative party, as it were, as an observation, uh, as, not as opposed to where it should be, but just as an, how, how, how would you observe it? I think, yeah, as you pointed out earlier, I think we'd be the the connotations are, are of being Tory wet. Um yeah. although I don't think that's entirely accurate. But I, I maybe the the politics has moved or the understanding has moved on from there because uh the you know when Margaret Thatcher was talking about the Tory wet, she was talking about, you know, people who didn't want to nationalise, you know, the how the great statement of Harold Macmillan selling off you know, talking about selling off the family silver. Um and I suspect that modern day one nationists are um, are much more concerned about outcomes rather than uh, rather than the procedure to get there, as it were. Yeah. Does that make sense? Or yeah, have I just no, no, I, th- I think I think myself in the circle there. No, I think you're absolutely right, and I think in more modern times as well that the, I mean, 
Theresa May recently described herself as a one nation conservatives, uh, one nation yeah, conservative. And I seem to remember not not long ago, uh, Ed Miliband referred to him as a self as a one nationism or one nationist. Uh, so it is slightly hijacked, but I think in in the modern in the current uh, in the current sphere, it does generally mean mean the left. Although I've had some quite interesting debates with people. Um, but I, yeah, I see that. But I I also think that um, and I over the years I've had an, an argument with a very good old Labour friend of mine, and um, you know we've we've always we've always talked about how both sides of the political spectrum are aiming at the same, the same destination. And it's for people to achieve, you know, the, the, their potential in their life. Yeah. Uh, we just have different political ways of going about it. And, and he thinks that redistribution is a way of, of dealing with that. And I think, you know, equality of opportunity is, is the answer. Yeah. Um, so you know, but the the outcome, the 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 the, uh, the roadmap may be different, but the destination is still the same. Very deep, very philosophical. Yeah. No, I like that. That was good. That, that's that's <laughs> a, a a good little good little uh, an analogy of putting it. Uh, I think also one uh, recent characteristic, and again, there's been much debate about this, um, has been the stance on Europe. And one nation conservatives were typically pro EU. Uh, or at least pro Europe, um, although not <clears throat> not not um, definitely. But that was again a, a sort of one area that, that generally um, was a uh, a trait of of one nation conservatism. Obviously, the the current uh, embodiment, if you like, is through the Tory Reform Group, which interestingly refers itself as the home of liberal conservatism. I think. Um, but interestingly, there's a there's there is a and I say interestingly because there's this debate about liberal conservatism. Is it one nation conservatism, uh, i.e., closer to the centre ground, or is it actually to the right of conservatism? And is it the uh, liberal economics to which it refers? Um, I think I said last week mistakenly that um, that the idea of I said that most conservatives now are socially conservative. What I meant to say was most uh, conservatives now are socially liberal. So that's liberal, kind, yeah. that's kind of off the table and really. With the exception of a couple of outliers, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I was just about to say Jacob Rees-Mogg. I couldn't do an impression <laughs> of it. Uh, the Mogmeister, with the exception of one or two yeah. uh, outliers, uh, the Mogmeister and uh, Arlene Faster. Obviously, she's not in the in the Conservative Party officially. Oh, and also, and don't forget Anne Widdicombe. Is she? Is she? Is she? Oh, yeah, she's oh. getting increasingly bonkers. Oh God, uh, I hadn't picked up on that. To be fair, yeah, but, no, she was she was out there um, complaining about. Oh, I can't remember. It's either gays or uh, transsexuals. Oh, or, right. or, yeah. oh dear. So she, she's not. She's not very satisfied with that lot, is she? No, she's not. Not at all. She's not satisfied with much, to be honest, is she? No. Well, she's got. She's got. A, she, well, maybe she hasn't. Maybe she's just become more outspoken than she was. But you do tend to think, you know, if someone in that in that sort of role who's been in Big Brother or you know all that sort of stuff yeah. and has met people from different walks of life and different backgrounds would start to get more open mm. and and more understanding but maybe she's gone the other way and just not yeah anyway who knows but but that's it's a good point though because bye, bye. probably the most famous uh one nation tory is uh or tory mp of the current day is kenneth clark he was always a big a big advocate um with ken clark hmm Woo for Ken Clark. Woo for Ken Clark, indeed. Um, and recently, there's another uh, tranche of uh, 
the conservative the Tory reform group has to have these uh, MP patrons who, who they are. So the Tory reform group is, is a kind of is a standalone organisation, but it is sort of closely affiliated with with that wing of the Conservative Party, uh, and indeed it does, as I say, have these um, these patrons. Uh, I think I, to be who are members of Parliament. Yeah, and on that point, I I think it's it's interesting to look at who's coming through in the Conservative Party now and, the, and that younger generation. Yeah, who are from very quote unquote unconservative backgrounds often. Mm. Um and they are you know, if you've had to if life has not been not been a struggle, but you know, if it if it's um if you've come from a slightly different background, uh or you haven't had you know, you haven't had a terribly privileged up upbringing or, or whatever and, and all the all the um uh all the ease that affluence gives you mm. um, and, the, and the easy start in life, uh, then you're likely to recognize and identify with people who also have a, um, a, a more uh, difficult life. And, and so I think that's, that's why I, I suspect that this younger gen, a lot of this younger generation who are coming through are much more socially liberal, but also economically uh, less hardline. Yeah. And less willing to say, you know, it's very easy to say the system works mm. if you go to Ludgrove, Eton, Oxford and become a banker in the city. Yeah. Of course the system works. It's not so much if you live in a, you know, if you live in a council estate and go to a, a sink comprehensive um, where you're, it's not even, you know, where, and I can, I know someone who did this, uh, she went to a comprehensive in Cornwall and when she went to the teachers to say, uh, I want to go to Oxford, teacher says, what makes you think someone like you can go to Oxford? Yeah. It's complete poverty of aspiration. It is. But it's actually quite reassuring because on that note, looking at the um, the new members who've sort of come out, who are, who are now, as I say, the, the Tory reform group um, appoint these parliamentary patrons and they essentially, I suppose that's them officially affiliating to uh, the One Nation um philosophy uh you've got people that you'll know quite well uh, justin greening uh anna subri um johnny mercer guy Upperman. but there's quite a few names in there i've i've to say thankfully i've actually not in, in a good way i've never actually heard of uh john lamont <laughs> I, I know uh, who's with one scottish uh mp in there for berkshire roxburgh and selkirk um but a number of other uh, name uh, names jeremy lefroy nigel huddleston victoria atkins Stuart andrew bim amafalami um, Owen Meredith. Owen Meredith. Well, he's the chairman, isn't he? He's already a member, I think. Yeah, yeah these are just the new ones, actually. But oh, I C- see, I see. C. McKennedy, uh, PPS to the Prime Minister. Probably there to spy. Well, well yeah, but, the, the, well, we, we, we always have to worry about who Theresa May is listening to. Uh, well, that's it. Uh, uh, after, after the last election. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. But but I did, I did have a bit of fun with this because there's there's people who who, who I who I chat to and they, they can... They, they, Proudly refer to themselves as liberal conservatives, but uh, they are most certainly not um, not one nationists. So when they suddenly see one or two of their heroes cropping up under the TRG uh, banner, they get a little bit uh, a little bit hot under the collar. So that's uh, that's rather amusing. <laughs> but um, um, who said that the Conservative Party isn't a broad church? Well, that's it, and I, and I think um, I mean as you say that there's and, and the Labour Party as well. I might add, let's let's not be party political here. Both all all political parties are broad churches, despite you know yeah despite the image. Yeah, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And even the Liberal Party was a combination of kind of uh, old classical liberals and uh, sort of 
light socialists on the other on the other hand yes. but unfortunately there's so few of them at the moment um there's not really much of a broad church because it's just not very broad full stop uh which has always surprises me because there's always this when you have times of um uh times of polarization as we've been experiencing over the last couple of years here you would kind of think the liberal democrats would be the ones to, to kind of uh come out through the middle quite literally but interestingly of course what you what you forget is that although yes it's been nice to sort of reform political parties and there's always been this talk of you know the right of the labor party and the left of the conservative party coming together and merging with the liberals to form a new center party but of course the problem is political parties are hugely expensive things to run and and it's not just about um you know your philosophy it's about the machinery behind it uh i yeah, exactly, and also, you know, we are we are a fast a first past the post system, where essentially, which creates a two party system in Westminster. Yeah, in, in Westminster, it's very difficult to get traction in. Yeah, you know, if you're going to be a third party candidate. Yeah, and that's a very um, interesting point because if we look in Scotland, obviously, where we've had proportional representation, there have been some quite good ground made by dif- different parties. I mean, the Scottish Socialist Party came out of nowhere to win I think five or six seats out of 129 alongside the Greens who had about five or six seats out of 129 and then individuals like Senior Citizens Unity Party and so on but they haven't really had much traction I mean I think the the Greens lost a bit of traction uh, they, 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 they gained a few seats again in 2016 uh, the Scottish Socialist Party were, were wiped out um, so it doesn't tend to sustain itself but it can it can have a uh, a bit of a better chance, I think, with with um, proportional representation rather than the Westminster system of, of first past the post. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and I think um, I I just I think the issue you have in in Westminster is that you know, politicians in the end want to keep their jobs, mm. and it's unless you're going to be if you're going to if you're going to cross you know cross the aisle as it were. Yeah. Um, you you have to be pretty bloody certain either you're get, you have such support in your constituency that you're um that you're re-elected or you're going to get parachuted into a safe seat yeah and you saw it was sean woodward uh you know he was a conservative across to, to the labor party yeah. the only reason he ever survived was because he had tony blair's blessing and he was never tried i mean obviously the conservative party you know he was considered absolutely persona non grata mm. and but the labor party never really trusted him either mm. you know so that level, and and you know the the you go back to looking at the SDP, the, the the gang of four. But you know even now, it's it's still a the visceral sort of hatred in the Labour Party for them to to have done to have done, you know what's what must have been heartbreaking for them anyway. Yeah, and unfortunately, well, it has I think the 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 social democrat experiment or the the social uh, social democrat experiment has unfortunately I think tainted the desire for anyone to do a third party because whenever there's a talk of a new political party it's always oh well look what happened to the sdp you know they didn't they didn't survive which i think is a shame because at the end of the day everything has to start somewhere but i think sdp analogies aside it is genuinely a very difficult thing to do uh particularly under, think, under the system i mean remember when yeah. you know ukip won four million votes in the country in a population of sixty thousand, uh, 60 million they won four million votes didn't get a single seat yeah absolutely uh and well, it has its merits. I'm not convinced about the first past the post system, but you know, that's, Ooh, for that's, another episode, that is for another episode. <laughs> but, but although, as someone said, careful what you wish for, because actually, um, uh, you look at kind of 
the alternatives based on purely vote share, and you'd have quite quite interesting results, albeit uh, uh, a bit more democratic uh, in one sense. But uh... well, yes, I mean, there's a question of whether you believe something is anyway. No, that's for another episode. That's another. <laughs> Let's let's um, move on uh, from the, the the nightmare that is uh, political reform. Yep. Um, and uh, go back. Uh, well, we were talking about the One Nation. Um, Anything on the news? Uh, oh, I see that fat little uh, dictator has um, has landed in uh, Singapore. As has 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 uh, as has Kim Jong Il. <laughs> bum bum. Hey. Uh, now we should have done this the other way around. We should definitely do the news first in yeah. future. Rather than afterwards. Yeah, that's a good idea. Anyway, uh, anything else uh, in the news? The Tory MPs urged to back PM in Brexit votes. Do we care? Do we care? Um, or are they playing politics? They're playing politics, of course. And do you think that they will actually... This is an interesting article I read um, with, written by Matthew Paris. Yeah. Uh, and it was about Remainers saying that it's never quite the right time to take on the Brexiteers and, you know, tomorrow will always be a better day. And Matthew Paris was saying, at some point, you have to take them on. Mm. And you have to say, no, no, this is the right time. And, uh, you know, people may have voted to be out of the European Union, but no one mentioned uh, being out of a common market, as far as I remember. Yeah, I... I... I'm kind of torn on this whole issue. You're obviously this the article. I think it was in the Times. I saw the headline. I didn't it actually was, read. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. actually read the article. Um, I, I'm kind of torn on this because I kind of think, well, if if you voted for Brexit, if you want to leave the European Union, lock, stock, and barrel, then yes, you can say, uh, you can say, uh, we're going to leave the single market, we're going to leave the customs union, etc., etc. A part of me thinks, well, yeah, tough shit. If you voted that way, then, you know, if you didn't do your research, that's your problem, not ours. And, you know, if you suffer for that, well, that's what you voted for. At the same time, I, I, so I, I don't buy this kind of, oh, well, you know, we didn't vote to leave the single market. I was like, well, there's kind of, if you didn't want to vote to leave the single market, then you should have voted to, to stay in. Um, but at the same time, there's also that practical thing of saying, um, this is a bit of a bad idea. Um, perhaps we need to sort of look at it again. Uh, which again doesn't sit very comfortably with 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 me either. But of course, um, had it been a negative vote, there might have been a, a call for a, a second uh, referendum, as in uh, a, a status quo vote. There might have been a call for a second referendum, which is dead easy to do because nothing's changed. But of course, when things change, uh, you've then got to deal with the consequences, and that's where it starts to sort of change the whole the whole dynamic of it. Um, but going back to your point, yeah. So this is should basically should the uh, European sympathetic conservative MPs go against the government. Um, well, no, I didn't say go against the government so much as go against the, the, the Brexiteers. So that would be the European research group led by our old friend, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Dear Jacob, but how would yeah, you... Yes. How, how would they go up against them in, in what sense? I find it quite weird because I, I don't quite get the way that Theresa May is actually dealing with this whole process. She's got this cabinet and this sort of elite cabinet which is I think I think it is. What, the, what, what, the what does classic... she achieve? Why doesn't she just oh, tell them where to sod off? The classic, she's just doing the classic thing of you know, well, we're British, we'll muddle through, and something will happen at the end. Yeah, or is she just basically deliberately just biding time to get to the point where it gets to crisis, and it's much easier to say, well, we've only got a week left, so hell, we've got to throw the nuclear option. Well, uh, it'll be like every other European Union negotiation, which is it'll happen at about three minutes to midnight. 
yeah. or actually more like three minutes to six in the morning. Yeah. Um, and they'll either come to an arrangement or the whole thing will implode and, you know, we'll just go into World Trade Organization rules. Mm. Anyway, but more to the point, and I know I know we said we'd never talk about Brexit, but I, I just want to we, we can, ask We you, can frame this in the context of this, this is kind of politics and government. Yeah. It could be about politics anything. It could be about the health service. It could be about yeah. uh, penal reform, but it's not. It just happens to be about Brexit and the party politics behind that at the moment. Yeah. So Boris. Yeah. Um, Boris, the man who've, who's, who's um, developed from a, a lovable buffoon to poisonous oaf, um, says that we lack guts in the Brexit talks and really uh, Donald Trump should be leading our Brexit talks. Thoughts? Um yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, there's, yes, Donald Trump shouldn't be uh, leading them. Um, did Boris do this on purpose with a legitimate idea? I think probably he did. I know someone said, oh, it was a Chatham House Rules meeting. I'm terribly sorry. But if you're the foreign secretary right in the middle of a negotiation, you don't go to a private dinner of any type and start blabbing off and slagging off your prime minister unless you want it to get out there. Uh, and I think there's probably very unlikely that even Boris would have said what he said uh, at this time. It's the kind of thing you do at the end. You know, you say it privately once all is, all is said and done, as it were. You don't do it right in the middle of a of a negotiation, as is the case between the UK and the EU. Uh, I start blabbing about it. That's just, I, yeah. So I think that he, whatever he said, he said it to uh, to be heard. And I don't think well, he's serious about Donald Trump, but I think he was sort of doing it to make a point, and that point I think was designed to be heard by uh, people outside of the, um, the 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 dinner at the time. What was it? Institute of Directors or something, wasn't it? Or uh, do you know what? I'm not sure. It was something to do with the IOD, and then maybe an after an after uh, reception. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've all I mean, yeah, many people have been to these Chatham House meetings, but you, you generally reflect on things that's happened in the past. You don't basically talk about what's going on right now. Because uh, that would be a, quite a severe. In 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 times gone past, that would have been you know a sort of seriously sackable offence. But then, what, what was a serious sackable offence five years ago? In political political terms, is no longer a serious uh, sackable offence. Uh, well, there are. I mean, let's face it. She she hasn't got a majority really, so she can't. You know, she can't say if she if she hadn't made such a hash of the um, of the election. Uh, and hadn't and the Maybot hadn't been around, then she she would would have enough MPs mm. to um to sort of sack him. Yeah. Basically. Here's a question: and Do you would you have preferred the Do you prefer the current outcome, as in the post 2017 landscape, or were you a fan of the pre 2017 landscape? Uh, oh, what? So uh, coalition rather than rather than. Well, no, as in, well, I say it's the it's the DUP coalition as opposed to um, what was on before. What was on before? We had a majority. There was a majority, wasn't there? There was a majority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now there's no majority. Um, uh, I would. Mm, that's a really interesting question. Without being, um, I would prefer a majority. I prefer a thumping majority. Um, and on purely political terms, I mm. prefer a thumping majority, even a small majority like there was with David Cameron would do. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I think Theresa May should have been more honourable and led a minority government, however stressful that is, uh, mainly because of, of who she went into coalition with. 
I agree. I think they're much easier as well because you can get away with a lot more if you're in minority. Well, she could have just said, "Well, we're in a minority and we can't get it through the through the Commons." Exactly. Rather than you know having to rely on you the DUP, I, I find the DUP and, thing. And to weird, be honest, but... they'd be better off. Um, they'd be better off doing that and saying, "Well, we're in a minority government, and quite frankly, the major job at the moment is negotiating Brexit." So. All the other legislation that we should be concentrating on. Sorry, you guys voted for Brexit, so you'll just have to wait for three years before we do anything about schools or this, that, and the other. Yeah. Hey, what do you think about Heathrow? Uh, I've got one Good final point. One, one final point I want to oh, say. Oh, sorry. So one final yep. point I want to say about um about um going back to the One Nation bit actually, which is quite interesting, is that one thing I do find with people that are are on the the uh One Nation side of the party tend to be less welded to the party in government. And I would I would agree with that. So there's people, I think, who are on the kind of right of the party, uh, and it's, it's always seen about party first, whereas I think that's probably one of the distinctions as well, is it's not necessarily about... Uh, so, for example, I would if I thought that, you know, we could do with a dose of labour for a year, for a, 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 a four-year period or whatever, then I, you know, you wouldn't... If, if I thought the Conservatives were going completely bonkers, then I wouldn't have any hesitation in doing that. Whereas I think people on the kind of right of the party tend to be more welded to their membership cards, to quote, Ooh, that's uh, very interesting. to quote Nick Clegg, again, I've not done any oh. research on this, but you'll find that people who are, you know... I, I suspect I, that's the same in the Labour Party too. I, I am sure it is. I was quite sort of pleased with the, um, not with the coalition, but I was quite pleased that Theresa May got a bloody nose. And of course, in the wider context, obviously what happened in Scotland, ironically, uh, the SNP got a bloody nose from the Conservatives, which kept sort of the Conservatives in power. But it did yeah. shift the dynamic, so it took off, it at least got... It helped in terms of the Conservatives' argument north of the border, and it kind yeah, of it, 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 it very much shifted the uh, the narrative around the SNP and independence, and I think that was quite powerful um, politically. Was, Albeit it actually, made Theresa May's life a lot difficult, a lot more difficult. Um, I think it actually has had positive consequences uh, in the longer term. Here's an interesting question uh, because you just mentioned Scottish independence mm-hmm. and Indie Ref Two, which we won't bang on about because it's anyway. Yeah, exactly. Do you think that um, Nicola Sturgeon is sliding into irrelevance? I think she's in a very difficult position. Um, I, I, I have, in a purely political uh, view, I, I, I have sympathy with her in her in her position. Well, I don't know sympathy is the right word, but I could I have em- empathy with her at the moment. She yeah. she was playing quite a clever political game before. Um, she was using Brexit. Uh, she had this big majority. She still has a big majority in the House of Commons. Let's not be honest in terms of Scottish seats. But obviously, in contrast to what she had before, it looks like she's she's a wounded uh, a wounded duck. Um, she was playing a quite a clever game. I think um, it was buying her time because she, I think she knows if she had an election tomorrow, uh, sorry, an ind- uh, a referendum tomorrow, I think she knows she would probably lose it. Um, and the sensible thing for her is to bide her time, be that 5, 10, 15, 20 years, um, because at the end of the day, they don't want a second referendum. They uh, they want to win it. Um, whereas the um, teeth gnashing... Well, we, indie the problem is we all know... Campaign we all know what happens when you win when you win a referendum. Well, exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly, do as I... Turns out, turns out it's not the sunny uplands that yeah. everybody thinks it's. It is, and I suspect that uh, I, I suspect actually uh, Nicholas Sturgeon doesn't um, doesn't particularly want to uh, to uh, to have to deal with that. But no, I think she was she was playing quite a clever game. Um, it was very because you could see what she was doing. But I suppose she was playing the best game she could. That was you know use Brexit as as the kind of well, well you know it's it's we didn't vote this way etc cetera, etc. Cetera. 
um, bide your time, bide your time. But unfortunately, what didn't happen was, as well as suddenly having an election and losing, um, what did they go down? They lost about 14, so 24 seats they lost. They went down from 59 to, mm-hmm. well, they lost the big 56 seats they had. I think they went down to 35. Um, the kind of Brexit bounce or the independence bounce didn't really happen. So um, basically, there's been a, a, a zero uh, it's sort of all balanced out. There's been no shift in support for independence really since the referendum. Uh, apparently, people have switched both sides. Uh, there's obviously the hardcore of of um, the SNP around thirty percent who apparently are 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 proper nas- proper hardcore nationalists, so they they don't support the European Union either. Uh, but basically, it's not had the effect that she wanted it to do. Uh, and although she was still, I think, able to play that game quite cleverly, it's obviously a lot harder. So now she's in the position uh, where she's got to uh, still try and. Um, keep all her membership happy she's at the one hand got to be a sort of sensible government party of, uh, sensible party of government 10 years in uh, and i think the way things are going is they'll, they'll still continue to do that for, for quite some quite some years um without any I, I think it's also it's also important to remember that political parties and the membership of political parties are all the are always uh I was going to use the word extremist. It's probably not the best word to write, but they they are the they are the choir, as it were. They are, um, I... and uh, you know, and so whether it's the Nats, whether it's the Conservative Party, whether it's the Labour Party, you know, you you don't, despite what people think when they're at a political meeting, that is not what the people outside the doors outside the building think. That's it. That's uh, it. And it's and it's very easy to get into the feedback loop where you think, oh well, you know. Everybody must agree. Everybody must want independence because I agree with it. Because everybody in here agrees with independence. Yeah. Um, and and just because you know all the headbangers are going on about something, whether it's independence, whether it's Brexit, whether it's nationalising industry, it doesn't actually mean that people in the, at home, you know, who are watching Love Island and couldn't care less about politics, despite people like us, um, uh, is uh, yeah. It, Despite that, that's not always what they think or no. they care about. And that's why I think the idea of an open primary is actually very good because the last person... I, you always despair when you see some of the, the choices that the uh, the UK Conservative members have made in terms of leadership over the years when you felt there was a better option on the table. Uh, Ian Duncan Smith, even William Hague back in the day. Yeah, but Ian Duncan Smith, because I remember all of the that. quiet man on. is turning up the volume. Yes, well... Hopefully, none of us will ever have to be at any party conference as as, as excruciatingly awful as that again. That was a dreadful um, impression. I was just trying to be a bit nasal, but it doesn't really sound like. No, it was no, it was pretty much sounded like him. Um, it was the you know, Conservatives just lost the election. Yeah. Uh, it was it was a disaster, and the the logic was I am I am I understand was that there was Ken Clark running for leadership and Ian Duncan Smith. Mm-hmm. And Ian Duncan Smith was put up because no one in their right mind was going to vote for Ian Duncan Smith. Nobody in their right mind was going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. That's why you, That's why I'm saying you shouldn't exactly. get the party membership to vote for the party and, leader because it's the last... Well, no, no. The last, no uh, this is, but this was, this is once again, it was, the, it was the MP's fault for trying to fix it, mm. to make it to, to... Instead of saying... Well, we're going to have a range of the people who are acceptable. It's that oh well, we'll put in, we'll we'll fix it so that no one's going to vote for Ian Duncan Smith, no one's going to vote for Jeremy Corbyn, but we've got to put them up there just to show. So it doesn't look like a, a coronation. Course, yeah, so it doesn't look like a coronation or a fix, and then you end up with this chaos. Equally, 
when we have had coronations, that doesn't matter whether it's Gordon Brown or Theresa May, it's been an absolute sodding disaster. Mm. Ed Miliband as well, remember, he came in at the last minute as just to sort of balance the books and well, bloody hell he won. Ed, Ed, yeah, well, Ed Miliband was merrily stabbing his brother in the back and he deserves exactly what happened to him yeah. afterwards for that little bit of, you know. But it is fascinating. When you think about all these people that we see as being, you know, potential high-caliber prime ministers, Ken Clark. Uh, David Miliband, um, even Michael Portillo at one point. Um, who else has been sort of scuppered? Well, anyone but Jeremy Everyone. Corbyn in the last two <laughs> leadership elections for the UK Labour Party. Anybody who's tipped, anyone who's tipped as a future prime minister, you know that's it. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There was quite a bit of funny spat the last sort of week in, in the press about uh, Nicola Sturgeon. Uh, one, uh, I think it was Alex Massey of the Times, who was uh, quoting a Scottish Tory insider basically to say that he was getting, uh, I forget what it was, it was something like uh, fucking frustrated or something at the um, uh, at the arrogance of the um, uh, English party saying, oh, we must get Ruth to come down and save us. Um, yeah. Forgetting that, you know, Scotland was just about sort of lost. Yeah. Not four absolutely. years ago. Uh, but it's still, and then a week later in the Times, there was still saying, oh, yes, Ruth Davidson will be the Prime Minister. Michael Gove is stitching up, blah, 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 blah. But uh, Yeah, well, the only person... They're now written off because she's been mentioned as a Prime is, Minister. It's Boris Johnson, so... Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's... But also, more to the point, it's pretty pretty bloody rude for for all the Conservative MPs, you know, the other Conservative MPs who are basically saying, so all you guys have just arrived, you know, you've, you've done whatever you've... you've served your time, you've been councillors, you've been knocking on doors, you've been working your way through the system, you've gone through all the ridiculous selection committees and the ridiculous training and all the rest of that crap, so you airbrush anything resembling character out of you, and if you still manage to make it through all that sort of crap, then you get selected. But but um, don't worry, you won't bother. we won't bother to ch- take a chance on you, we'll get Ruth down from Edinburgh, because mm. she'll want to do it. Yeah. Because, you know, and it's it's almost the M25 arrogance again, isn't yeah. it? You know, it's that sort of... But but of course you'd want to go to Westminster. I mean, why why wouldn't you? Yeah, you're, abso- you know, you're absolutely why, right. Why would you possibly want to stay in the provinces? <laughs> exactly. And it's it's actually, it is a problem locally as well. I mean, I've seen it that, you know, when you've got seats that aren't winnable, there's no competition for them. And you get someone who slogs it, slogs it, slogs it. And then suddenly there's a boundary change. There's a chance of winning. And they wonder why they're not re-elected. Because uh, you were yep. there. You were, unfortunately, you were there as a paper candidate. Um, yeah. Not there as a serious contender for uh, for Parliament, and, but, and uh, it doesn't help. You know, I mean, I you know there does need to be uh, central office vetting and all the rest of it. Otherwise, you do end up with <clears throat> the Jeremy Thorpe's of the world. Yeah, and um, uh, you know, and that's that's fine. But you know, having been on a selection committee, you do there is this sort of parachuting in of you know those on high saying well, we think you ought to interview so-and-so mm. and we'd really like to see so-and-so and, and so on and so forth. And yes, actually, a lot of those people that that were parachuted in have become MPs and are, are now, you know, household names. But yeah. there is there is something uh, irritating for um, constituencies. You know, bearing in mind, you're basically telling the people, and, and in most constituencies, I think that the the sort of constituency officers, as it were, you know, on a selection committee, they tend to be pretty broad-minded about what they might like as a candidate uh, and what is electable. Yeah. And they will understand 
that because they go out and knock on doors and talk to people mm. and are not just being surrounded by you know their their feedback loop uh, their echo chamber rather um and therefore they will often make a choice of someone who they think is more electable or has potential or something along those lines rather than just well they they absolutely reflect my views whereas the general party membership will say well if he's not a hang em and flog em, you know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I couldn't support someone like that. Yeah, you, you, you do get. You joke. I was once at a, a branch meeting many years ago, one of the constituencies in Edinburgh for the Tories, <laughs> and I turned around and was chatting to some member who's a, a few years older than me, shall we say? And she said, "The problem is they got rid of the death penalty. We need to bring back the death penalty." And I thought, "Oh God, here we go." Uh, but as Tony Blair will tell you in his. Uh, his memoirs, every party has its nutters. In fact, they're generally um, yes. more nutters than not because normal people yeah. don't join political parties. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and... Um, Therefore, we are not normal. Back... No, we're not, I'm afraid. Bad luck. Uh, no, going back to this... Um, we're on the normal fringe uh, of abnormality, I think. Well, I'd like to think so. The uh, But then, of course, we think that, so possibly it's not true. Yeah. This is my favourite uh, well, talking nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, going back to this uh, this friend of mine who was a um, he's a labour um, labour man. Uh, we once had this conversation, and I'd been to a particularly frustrating uh, meeting, and and um, you know with someone banging on about something irrelevant that was only relevant in about the eighteen hundreds, and um, probably talking about you know transportation to the, to uh, Australia for criminals or something like that. And <laughs> just, just drag that one up. Did you mention the yeah. hiring clearances as well? Uh, no, no, this is down in London. So obviously, uh, you know, we're more worried about you know, right. that's, that sort of stuff. Um, Don't tell and, him about that. He'll just add it to his um. Yeah, exactly. And um, library. And so, I, so I said to this chum, man, you know, do you have the same problem in yours? And, I, and, and in your meeting, he said, oh yeah, no, we have exactly the same problem. Yeah. And and I said, well, what do you do? And he said, oh well, we just generally try to stick them in the corner and ignore them. <laughs> I think that's that's, so, that's, that's kind of what you have to do. Yeah, I was uh, I was on um. Uh, on, years ago I went on to the audience of, of Question Time and it's very clever what they do they have a very, before they actually do the live um, show, they get the, there was, I think it was the, the producer who's a very good um, kind of uh, sort of charismatic person and basically gets the audience warmed up, gets them speaking um, starts posing questions to the audience you know, what do you think about, you know random subjects like lifts you know what really annoys you you know about a lift oh it's when too many people get in and when they know it's full blah 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 I, do, you, do actually... you want to know what really annoys me about a lift okay there's no longer a chap standing in there to press the button for your floor so you're of the outrage. you're of we the bring them back. so you're of the aristocratic conservative school of conservatism absolutely I, I want a, i want a lift man right yeah okay to press the button every time i get in right so you've just you just you, you leave your one nation uh you leave your one nation values at the lift door there's a manservant in the uh, it's the Chicago the business servant. school it's trickle down economics right if you tip him as well there you go ah brilliant anyway the point being that what they did in the in the um in, in the audience of question time was uh they basically I think uh found the sort of slightly more uh uh fruity people Bonkers. shall we say uh and I think come David uh, uh Dimbleby uh onto the uh, the platform i think he's brief to say don't ask that person that person or that person a question because they're another <laughs> uh, which i know is not very cute these days but uh but yeah I, I, but it's very clever and i think similarly going back to your point that i think is yeah you sometimes have to deal with deal with it um 
in, in, in a certain way. But um, sorry, going back to your um, your, your your question. Um, I'm glad you can remember it because I've now forgotten. You were asking me. You asked me, and I, I, it sounds like I've just done a massive twenty-minute dodge the question. Uh, Heathrow. That yes, was your question. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's a oh, good. Come th- on, how can you be against a, th- a third? Uh, no, no. I, well, I, I'm. I, no, I think it's a good thing because I think you have to. Well, you, you've got some wacky ideas about bloody airports. You can't talk, but I think it's a no, good. No, that is a completely logical idea, and we'll come on to that after we've spoken about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think. I think. I think. It, I think it's a good idea because actually, the the key about um, uh, this is why I think it goes contrary to what you're about to talk about. But yeah, because Heathrow is a hub, you need hubs. Um, and um, yeah, and if Heathrow's already got the, the airport, um, then yeah, you, you put everything through Heathrow. And although yes, there's no direct flights from Inverness or Edinburgh to wherever, uh, if you've got capacity through Heathrow, that's that's the way that the economics works. Um, I'm going. You can't. I'm you, gonna... you can't have. Uh, you can't just spread it everywhere. It's a bit like this, you know, city region thing. You need to sort of focus your resources and your infrastructure on the existing hubs. I and agree. Is an example. However, I do have sympathy. Uh, this is wearing my um, my NIMBY hat. I do have sympathy with uh, the volume of traffic both in the air uh, at Heathrow and the volume of uh, traffic to actually access Heathrow because uh, it is fucking busy down there. Uh, I mean, it's great living up here. It's pretty sparse. Where you live, there's nobody except you and a dog uh, for 100 That's miles. That's not true. When the, uh, when the Gulf Stream moves and when we've got really sunny weather up here, we suddenly get massive, free, uh, massive plane traffic going over. Really? Yeah, oh. you can always tell when the when the Gulf Stream has moved up here because you start yeah. seeing uh, seeing um, it's usually going from say Frankfurt to Chicago. Yeah, so it sounds like a complete geek. But, but there is a bit of me in my old age when you think, and I started sounding complete hippie, but you think, well, you, you build the runway, then what what next? It just gets bigger, and there's no kind of like, where's the sustainability of it? I'm not I... against. I'm not against it. I'm just posing that question because I think it's good. I think for ec- economics, it's good. I think uh, Heathrow actually is is a terminal five, particularly despite its sort of first week of disaster is actually a brilliant uh, airport terminal and it's great to, to to get through so i think it's a really a really positive thing and having been in heathrow i think last year you're sort of sitting at the stack and you can see the planes just just scattered around like like yeah. bits of lego uh, absolutely. but just everywhere i would I, I have to say i would like to see um both um heathrow have a third runway i would like to see gatwick build its second runway and I would like to see us build a what was what was the plan was always called Heathwick, which was to build a direct train from Gatwick to Heathrow, mm. a high speed train between Gatwick and Heathrow. Yeah. The apparently the argument for against Boris Island, which people still bang on about, is that planes need to take off into the prevailing wind. Mm. The prevailing wind, obviously, in this country comes from the southwest. Unfortunately, that means that planes have to take off over central London. And when is the most dangerous time for a plane? Uh, take off and landing? Exactly. And that, you know, in the unlikely event, unfortunately, it would land in central London. Mm. Rather than... In a field. Newbury Racecourse. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway... But, uh... But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, as I say, because I don't live down there. But, it, pr- but I think, I think from an infrastructure point of view, it's definitely the thing to do. And I, I did, I did look into this some time ago. When do you remember about five years ago there was a debate of Gatwick or Heathrow or there was the Boris Airport, wasn't there? Which was the, uh, was that yeah, the floating, Boris Island. Bar- Boris Island. That was the that kind was, of floating that was runway the one where you'd have to take off into the west and land on central London. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, but I remember looking and uh, listening to a, a discussion on that and the the economics of hubs has to work. 
Um, yeah. it's, just, it's just not viable to run everything from every airport. So you need to look, where is your hub? Uh, where's Ooh. the traffic? No, that's not true anymore. The hub and spoke approach no longer has to, is no longer as vital as it used to be because planes are now cheap enough to fly point to point. Mm. And that's the things like Dreamliners. Stuff right. Like that. But they might be cheap enough to fly point to point, but is there enough demand for the service? Well, obviously, if there's enough demand. Yeah. But yeah, gone, gone are the days where you where you had to have this hub and spoke approach. Right. But also from, from a demand point of view, you know, you've probably, yeah, you probably, yeah, you probably yeah. couldn't fill a, a plane from uh, Glasgow and uh, Edinburgh to each every day to China, but you could if you had one airport, which was your suggestion of having one airport. Absolutely. In Edinburgh, which I just think is bonkers well it's just practically bonkers yeah it may be if you were building an airport for the first time you might do this but you're not going to shut down two airports and build one why not because berlin cost, did it it would cost far too much edinburgh airport. It. Edinburgh airport every is... every country in the world has done stuff like this apart from britain because we just say oh no we can't afford to do that but what's it's absolutely logical having one airport for scotland scotland's international airport halfway between glasgow and edinburgh and you will get decent destinations all around the world because you will have 4 million people and that's just the central belt that doesn't include the Northumberland Cumbria you know further north but what's wrong uh, with, what's wrong with the current airports because it, mentally it's not you don't have there aren't that many flights going from yeah, uh, you've got uh, you've got an hour connection to Schiphol to Charles de Gaulle to Heathrow Great. You don't, you so don't need another airport or a, or a bigger. You don't need this. It's fine. You know, it's. If one, Scotland one... wants to be an independent country standing on the world stage, it is going to need a decent airport with destinations that don't make us look like a third, a third world country where we have to connect. Nah. I, sh- I shall write to Nicola now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree. Right. I, I think uh, I, 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 I like Edinburgh Airport. I use it a lot. I think it's a good, a good location. <laughs> but uh, well, I like Inverness because well. I can turn up. Half an hour before the plane takes off, yeah. I think, oh bloody hell, I've almost missed it again. And then run through security and run up the stairs as they're loading people. Yeah, that's and it. And one of these days, I am going to miss that flight. I know. I've never actually. I think I've won. I almost missed a flight actually. We were on actually not long ago. Where were we going? Prague, Ryanair, and they have this silly thing where they have to. They, if you've got a, if you're travelling on a non-EU passport or visa, you have to go and get your boarding card stamped. It's just pointless so you get there and they say oh no you have to go and get it and it's by the front door so you've basically got to sprint all the way of course Ryanair being the cheapest flight is right at the far end of the airport so you then got to run all the way back out through security down stairs back to the front desk I mean if you did it in Heathrow you'd be you'd be screwed because you just couldn't physically do it uh that was we almost missed a flight there and another time I was once going to Heathrow and I decided to cheap it and took the local bus service which took rather longer than the express but I (laughs) I stepped straight onto the flight um but I I got it uh didn't miss it. Um, but, uh, I've, uh, there are two things. Two things. Uh, two questions. One no. One question. One statement. First question. Uh, Northern Rail. Chris Grayling. Uh, is he responsible? Should he resign? Um, I'm going to have to confess. Does I... the box stick with? Does the buck stop with him? Um, no. Right. Even though he's transport minister. Yeah, but then if you have a well, I suppose you could argue if. if... And and network rail is a, a nationalised industry. Network rail nationalised industry. It more or less is a nationalised industry, isn't it? It it's, is owned by the taxpayer. Is it owned one hundred percent by the taxpayer? Yep. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it has. It, has, it should be one organisation. I think that's that's important. Uh, yeah, I think. I think. Yeah, 
I don't, yeah, I don't know enough about this topic. I'm just making it up as I go along, to be honest. Right, okay, fine. But, well, we'll, uh, talk, yeah, about, I'm, we'll I, talk about it another day. Yeah, I don't know. The, 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 the Northern Rail thing, um, it's a bit of a funny one, because on the one hand, if you believe in... It depends if you, you fundamentally say, actually, uh, and we've, we have, I think, possibly talked about this before, should the rail franchise... We're not having a discussion about the rail franchises, but should... If you believe in the rail franchises being, uh, you know, privatised run with the private sector, then you, to some extent you have to accept that when things go wrong, it is the responsibility of the franchisee to do it. That's the risk that you hand over. Uh, at the same time, if you're taking it from the point of view as well, actually, fundamentally, you're running the railways the wrong way. They shouldn't be run in this fundamental uh, setup where you've got the fragmented franchise system. Then, yeah, you might lay the blame at the door of, of the, the current uh, transport secretary. But uh, ask me again in a few weeks, I might have a different opinion. Right. Okay. I'll, 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 ask, you, I'll ask you again it. when you when you've read the uh, comments on Twitter. I've read the brief, and yeah, when you've read the brief, yeah. and uh, are not looking at things that are only either a in the central belt or b in uh, within the M25. Yeah, we'll, we'll need to get our, our team of interns to, to look at that. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I'll uh, I'll get right on that all and the, tell them all those interns. Uh, <laughs> all those all those all desperate interns. All those interns who we don't have, pay. but uh, yeah, uh, we don't have and can't pay. Right. Exactly. One, it, last, one last thing. I think I've got a title for this podcast. What? Um, what got th- and it's this particular it's, this episode. This or? particular this particular episode, yeah. And uh, it Boris was, it, uh, trains and um, Brexit. No, no, you you talked about sympathy for Nicola Sturgeon, and yeah. then uh, and then you called it empathy. Uh, and I thought, no, no. How about empathy for the devil? Empathy for the devil. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, that's my that's my shout out to uh, the Rolling Stones. Is that a Rolling Stones track? Well, sympathy for the devil is a Rolling Stones track. All right. Oh, we're going to have to work on your music. Yeah. Well, I, I am, I am, oh. I am, but a spring chicken. But uh, yeah, apparently uh, so. Anyway, in, in other good news, uh, we're now on. Uh, we're now officially on on iTunes. Uh, we are officially on uh, TuneIn. Woo. Uh, we are on uh, Stitcher, Weird. which sounds like a dating app. Weird sex site. Stitcher. It, does, it sounds like a Grinder or a. Uh, Tinder yeah. or a Stitcher, but it is in fact. Uh, it, it, I think it's not, not being an Android user for a couple of years. I think it is the uh, the mainstream. Uh, I think it app. is too. Uh, I used to use. Let me tell you, I used to use Spotify, and then uh, for Spotify free, and then they started charging for it. Yeah, something like nine ninety nine a month, and I thought I'm not doing that. So um, bad luck, Spotify. You've lost a customer um, because I've moved I'm, to Stitcher. We're not using the old. <laughs> we're not that- using the old podcast anymore. We're using Stitcher. Yeah, well, to be fair, actually, I uh, I did look at Spotify, and um, because uh, you can, you they don't allow you to um, you don't allow you to submit your podcast directly. So we actually, although we we do all our stuff ourselves, um, whereas and whereas iTunes etc are happy for that, uh, Spotify want you to use a third party uh, host, which we we don't do. Uh, but to be honest, I didn't even know Spotify did podcasts. So uh, well, if that if I don't know they do that, then they it's not worth it's not worth it's not worth worrying about. No, no, no. no. Uh, right. Excellent. So that's us. We're almost bang on the hour. So uh, yeah. Well, no. There's this little section you need to cut out of rubbish of where I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah. Well, that's it's good. So, it's good. Good editing. Good editing. So we could we could run over a little bit, but that might be you know too much. Yeah, that's fine. We can waffle. Anyway, Can't ask the poor people out there. Oh, we ought to get people to uh, tweet, tweet, and um, what's you... our hashtag handle? Uh, is it called a handle? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> it was called a handle in 1972. Breaker, oh, breaker. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Twitter. I think it's, it used to be. I think it is officially a Twitter handle. It's a bit like you know, what do you call a pack of rabbits or a 
flock of geese, you know, oh, it's a whatever. I think it is, you know, a Twitter handle, a Facebook username, but I think, yeah, people generally refer to it as... Okay, uh, what are we, what, yeah, okay, fine. Have you, do you even use Twitter? Um, Not if I can help it, no. Right, well, uh, yeah. Well, we, but, but if you uh, if you give me... Actually, I can just send it to you, can't I? Yeah. And you can, you can do it on Twitter for yeah. me. Anyway, the, uh, the... Hey, we've got an intern. Woo! Do we? I have an intern, yeah. Oh, excellent. Right, um... Like Since dog. I'm now forwarding you, no, I'm forwarding you stuff. Oh, you're my on... intern. No, you, I, you're my intern. All yeah. oh, right, okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, because the... I don't have the username and password. I'm a bit like um, uh, what's his name? You know, who does Pop Idol? Simon Cowell. Who's mm. given up his mobile that phone? Was well, rubbish. Yeah, of course he's given up his mobile phone. It's and and he says, oh well, I don't need it anymore. It's because he's got a, a troop of of people running behind him. Yeah. With their mobile phones. Yeah. You know. And handing him bits of paper and keeping him organised. Anybody can get rid of a mobile phone if they've got a troop of assistants. Yeah. Speaking awesome. of which, I was very—I was speaking to an MP the other day, uh, and he was saying that he—he he does his entire is. Uh, this may surprise people. It may not surprise. It may horror people, horrify people. But I was amazed that he actually does his all his own inbox. Really? Yeah. You think you must just get the, the sheer volume of um. Emails must just be a full-time job. And everyone who said, who runs a parliamentary office has said the volume of emails is just, it's a, it's, well, it is, it's a job in itself. But he, actually, oh, yeah. he, yeah. Uh, he is, is the master of his email box. Uh, and he gets everything firsthand. Which actually serves him, serves him in great, in great, uh, great stead. But he has to be very good with time. Absolutely amazing. But I, I would find that so time-consuming. Mm. I don't think I could do it. Yeah. You can't have a life outside of politics. If you no. Do that. Well, I do, you can't really have a life outside of politics if you're an MP anyway. But, anyway, no. Uh, yeah, so um, what was that last point you were on? before we started waffling uh twitter handles twitter handles twitter yeah handle so the twitter is... handle is onp podcast the one nation pragmatist podcast onp podcast uh you can find us on facebook but there's not much there so um we'll maybe need to start tweeting uh well we can start putting interesting articles up on facebook yeah but either way you can subscribe to the podcast on uh itunes on stitcher on overcast uh, or straight on our website pragmaticmedia.uk uh and that's probably enough for this week i think I think we've done 102 minutes and six seconds now. So yeah, we have no, not 102 minutes. We've done one hour and two minutes. God, I'm worse. I'm worse than the Today program. You are. They don't. They never <laughs> bloody well shut up. Well, they're pretty good actually because they go right down to the uh, right down to the last second. But uh, uh, and sometimes crash the pips. Yeah. Anyway, we, we've we've compared ourselves to, to the Today, Today program, program, which suggests <laughs> it's probably time to leave and go home. Yeah, I think so. Excellent. Right. Anyway, uh, we are the One Nation Pragmatists. Uh, I'm Neil Freshwater. I'm Nick Lampen. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.